Thanks very much, praise team. Good to hear one of Brian Gertzman's uh, numbers in there as well. We are starting a uh, new series today, a three-part series entitled A Taste of Honey. And I'll explain in a few moments what that refers to. This is episode one, which is called Power Surge. Father, we thank you that um, this is a place where we can exalt you. And uh, as we do that, we, we realize that it's not happening very much in our society, except among those who are the followers of Christ. And so this is significant. This is very significant in contrast to everything else that's going on in the world today. This is the most important thing that happened this week. And so we thank you that we can be part of that and that we can praise you and glorify you together, worship you together, look at your word together. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. War had broken out somewhere in the Middle East, as tends to happen in that volatile region. And although they were greatly outnumbered, the uh, there was two Israeli soldiers who went on the offensive. They attacked their overconfident enemy, and that caused a panic. And it managed to turn the tide of the battle. But as the day went on, unfortunately, the Israelis could not clinch the victory because their soldiers were so exhausted and in distress. And this energy crisis was all because their commanding officer had issued a very foolish order. No soldier was allowed to eat any food until their victory was complete. No cliff bars, no trail mix, no slurpees. Doing so would be considered an act of treason, and the penalty for disobedience was death. But one soldier had not received a memo. And as he made his way through the trees, he found an ethically sourced honeycomb. Not the cereal, but the original version. Maybe a bear had torn apart a beehive and after eating his fill, had left the rest just kind of scattered about. Now this soldier was fading fast. He didn't have much bandwidth left. His battery life was probably at about 10%, and his eyes were at half-mast. But when he tasted the honey, his eyes brightened. Some of you will recognize this incident that it's recorded in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 14. The soldier with the honeycomb was Jonathan, the oldest son of King Saul. I love that verse, 1 Samuel 14, verse 27, where it says, Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people under an oath. So he reached out the end of his staff, dipped it in the honeycomb, he raised his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. I love that. It can also be translated, his strength was renewed. That's why Starbucks and Tim Hortons are so popular. Make mine a double-double. Now, I'm like Pastor Ryan. I don't drink coffee. 
But I know that if I'm fading while I'm driving, the only solution is an ice-cold Pepsi. One schluck every 10 kilometers will get me from Red Deer to Calgary in a reasonable state of semi-consciousness. Because these days, we need all the help we can get. Urban life is, can be so fast and furious, so that even with multitasking, we can barely keep up. And that's why we resort to Red Bull and Big Gulps and Boost. How many cups of McCafe do you need to make it from 9 to 5? But this series is not about our metabolism, because I see a very important spiritual principle here. When Jonathan tasted the honey, his eyes brightened. To me, that is an illustration of the power of encouragement. You can see it in the eyes. Over the years, I've noticed that many people who come to church are weary and burdened. And it's especially true during this pandemic. And often the eyes are downcast. But then we worship, and our focus is raised to things above. We exalt it. He will reign blessing and honor and glory and power. And you can see the effect in their eyes. The gloom is lifted and faces become radiant. Now, of course, it's harder to see that with face masks. I still remember what it was like. When you're up here preaching the word of God and, and you're showing people the truth that sets them free, you can see the difference. There's always those that are kind of tuned out and they're distracted by something else. But there are those who are internalizing the truth. They're in, taking the promises of God they're tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and their eyes will brighten with the power of that encouragement. In fact, God's word is compared to honey. In Psalm 19, uh, beginning at verse 9, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold and sweeter than honey from the comb. Pastor Ryan read the verse in Psalm 119. 103 last week. How sweet are your promises to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The greatest encouragement in all of life comes from the Bible, and that's what this series is all about. But instead of doing sort of a theoretical, theological, um, topical study of this subject, our focus is going to be on an individual who personified this virtue. Namely, this bright-eyed soldier, Jonathan, son of King Saul I, heir to the throne of Israel. Because Jonathan was unsurpassed as an encourager. More than first class, he was world class. He was to encouragement what Michelangelo is to art or what Shakespeare is to literature or what Don Cherry is to shower curtain matching tuxedos. In fact, the Bible doesn't have any charge to bring against him. Unlike Abraham and Jacob and Moses, 
and Gideon and David and Elijah, Jonathan's resume is unblemished. And he became David's best friend, a friend that was truly closer than a brother. Only we had friends like that. But they are rare. With a friend like Jonathan, we could go further. We could accomplish more because they bring out the best in us. That's the power of encouragement. And it made all the difference in David's life. And I think that's exactly what the world needs now. We don't need more conflict or controversy or conspiracy. These issues are swirling all around us. People are getting more tense and more uptight. As the song says, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. But what exactly is that? It's, it's too general. It's too vague. What we need is love in the form of encouragement. Something very specific. That's what the world needs. I mean, just look at our situation. It's April 2021. And our world is experiencing a serious inner conflict, which is very ironic. Because while our climate is getting warmer, our culture is getting colder. And Jesus said this is exactly what would happen at the end of the Ice Age. In Matthew 24, verse 12, it says, He said, Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Have you noticed that? It's getting colder. The love of most will grow cold, and it's because of the increase of wickedness. It's cause and effect. That's exactly what's happening right now. This verse is probably one of the best to summarize our time in history. Wickedness is increasing, and you can measure it biblically. All you have to do is look at our society compared to the Ten Commandments. You know, taking, if taking God's name in vain was trading on the stock market, it would rival Amazon and Apple. Irreverence is a pandemic more lethal than the coronavirus, and nobody is working on a vaccine. Thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> that has increased exponentially, along with every other sexual perversion that fallen humanity can possibly imagine, especially this internet porn. This is the age of sexual anarchy and insanity. But don't say anything because it could be hurtful. What about lying? Well, that's become our national narrative. Back in 1998, Bill Clinton was impeached because he told one lie about Monica Lewinsky. Well, in 2019, President Donald Trump was impeached after telling about 20 to 30,000 lies, according to a fact-checking agency. Or maybe those were just alternative facts. Thou shalt not kill. That is just something that is increasing everywhere, from abortion to police brutality to mass shooting. And if you factor in what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, 
This includes angry outbursts and domestic violence and road rage. We are all armed and dangerous. And what about stealing? Well, the internet has now given us so many more opportunities to misappropriate funds. We have identity theft, fraud, hacking, and these things have victimized millions. It's getting worse. So yes, Virginia, Virginia, immorality has increased, and one of the most destructive side effects is that our love for each other has grown cold. And this consequence is empirically verifiable. You can see it on the news every night. We have so many ir irreconcilable conflicts. Red states against blue states, Alberta against Ottawa, masters against anti-masters. To vaccinate or not to vaccinate, that is the question. There's so much controversy building over this issue. Those who are being vaccinated are blaming the ones who aren't for extending the lifespan of this pandemic. And those who aren't being vaccinated are saying the vaccine is what causes the variants. There's so many things to disagree upon and very, very strongly disagree. And tensions are increasing, tempers are igniting. And so if you don't agree with everything I say, a curse on you and the horse you rode in on. We've lost the ability just to agree, to disagree, and be gracious. Cancel culture is now our default setting. Suspicions are escalating. Every person we pass is a potential threat. Are they spreading the variant? Hostility is just simmering under the surface, and the pressure is increasing. And it's just a matter of time before there's, there's an eruption like the storming of the U.S. Capitol. Now my question to you is, is any of that Christianity? Is that what Jesus taught us? Well, not exactly. So what the world needs now is some good news. Because that's what attracted people to Jesus. Especially the non-religious segment of the population. Sure, he told them the truth about sin. He didn't water that down. But he was so gracious and forgiving and encouraging that he got a reputation for being a friend of sinners. Is that anything like us? Am I like that? Well, it depends on the sin. I was walking through Sunnyside a few years ago, and right in front of me, before I could even adjust my direction, there was a couple of gay guys sitting there with their arms around each other. Had I seen this earlier, I probably would have crossed the street, but I didn't have time. So I could feel myself tensing up. I passed by quickly. and. And the fellows greeted me, and I begrudgingly said hello. I'm sure they could feel the wind chill in my voice as I escaped down the block. I got only four steps when the Holy Spirit very clearly said to me, go back and talk to them. What? Are you kidding? 
I didn't expect that. But I've realized that God often tells me to do things I don't want to do. Go back? Do I have to? What do I say? Well, I turned around and I mentioned that we'd been at Princess Island watching Shakespeare in the Park. We talked about that for a while. We talked for a couple of minutes and then I returned to my regularly scheduled life. Now, I have no idea if that brief encounter meant anything to them, but I could tell the difference in my life. It's as if someone had turned up the thermostat. The icicles were beginning to melt, and my heart grew one and a half sizes that day. And I find there's a similar effect whenever I give a homeless person a cliff bar or a care bag. It's important for me to do that, otherwise I'll just get colder and colder and colder. You see, Jesus taught us that if we only love those who we agree with, if we only greet our kind of people, then we are no better than the right-wing Pharisees or the left-wing Gentile barbarians. The love of Christ is so different than anything else we find in this world. It's different than our culture can produce, and it becomes our unique brand. He said in John chapter 13, beginning at verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. Well, that's not new. A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That is really new. That stretches us way, way beyond what we're comfortable with. And he said, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I think that we have more opportunity in 2021 than ever before to practice that love. Because the love of Christ includes almost, almost everybody except our enemies, right? No, it even includes our enemies. And we have more enemies now than we've had in the past. You know, there was a time, you'll have to take my word for this, those who are young. There was a time when Christianity was cool. There was a time when the world saw us as part of the solution. Now we're considered part of the problem. But that's okay because that gives us even more opportunities to return blessing for insult. And in addition to that, we now have more opportunities to be an encouragement to the people of God. And Christians desperately need encouragement right about now. Because we're a lot like the Israelites in this passage. Paul's part, Saul's part-time militia of 3,000 men was facing a well-trained Philistine army that had 3,000 chariots and soldiers as numerous as sand on the seashore, it says. And they were armed with heavy metal weapons. 
Israeli, the Israeli forces only had sticks and stones. Maybe some of those plastic lightsabers that you can buy at Walmart. Because the Philistines had forcibly disarmed Israel. There was no blacksmith who could produce metal weapons. So on the day of battle, chapter 13, verse 22, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. So not only were they overwhelmingly outnumbered, they were disarmed and totally discouraged. Verse 6 and 7. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among rocks and pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal with all the troops with him, but quaking with fear. Eighty percent of the army deserted until Saul was left with 600 men. So let's make that exceedingly abundantly outnumbered. 600 farmers, only two of them had real weapons. They were utterly discouraged until something happened that gave them a reason for hope. Chapter 14, verse 1. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Now, the armor bearer is kind of like your caddy. I'd estimate that Philistine sentry is about 20 yards away. Give me my eight-foot spear. I hope this doesn't end up in the rough because the Philistines don't give you many mulligans. Verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Very interesting. You see, Jonathan was not going over to encourage the Philistines. He wasn't going over there to love his enemies because encouragers can also confront and denounce when necessary. And that's a very important part of our ministry. That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Encouragers are not wimps that just agree with everything. They will look for ways to affirm that which is righteous. But when it comes to evil, they're ready to demolish. So Jonathan, here in the Old Testament, was going over to deal with those uncircumscribed Philistines because they were evil incarnate. They, were, they had a toxic hatred towards the people of God. 
their mission was to eradicate Israel with extreme prejudice. And the Philistines were trespassers. They had no right invading the promised land. They were a clear and present danger to the kingdom of God. They had to be driven back out of harm's way. Good luck. That was impossible. Saul knew that because he did the math. Jonathan, however, had not crunched the numbers. And Jonathan said, Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. God is never outnumbered. Did you know that? God is never outnumbered. If the Philistine army would have been ten times as big, that still couldn't put a dent in his sovereignty. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. This pandemic has all been about numbers. So many tested positive, so many active cases, so many hospitalized. And if you're following the numbers, it can be, get very discouraging. You know, a year ago, we had the first wave. And then life got back to normal. Well, not exactly, because we had that second wave, and the numbers went up. And then there was a third wave, and then there was the variants. And although thousands have been vaccinated, the numbers still keep going up. I keep hearing most cases in one day. You hear that all the time. Now, I haven't been following any of that because for me, faith is not a numbers game. Because that puts you on a roller coaster. So when the numbers are down, your faith goes up. And when the numbers rise, you head for the drop of doom. Is God's grace sufficient up to and not exceeding a thousand cases a day? Where does God's sufficiency end? At what point in the pandemic? Well, instead of tethering our faith to the wreckage that's floating on the incoming waves of this pandemic, we need to anchor it to the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Because if this pandemic gets ten times worse than it is now, it doesn't change anything in the Bible. God is still our refuge and our strength, and he's still making all things work together for our good. Because nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And I like that because, for me, it's really simplified things. This last year was very simple. It was not complex at all because I realized if I take care of my responsibility, observing a few basic precautions, washing my hands for 19 seconds, take one second off for good behavior. You know, if I do my part, then I can relax. I can totally relax because there is absolutely nothing I can do to guarantee 100% that I won't get the virus. That is totally up to God as long as I don't take any unnecessary risks. I don't have to worry because I know that for all of us, there is a time to live, and there is a time to die. And I love that plan. That's a great plan. The 
because the only thing on my bucket list, the only thing, is going to heaven. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have absolutely nothing to lose. I mean, imagine going to heaven where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. I can hardly wait. Heaven where we experience what no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived. That just sounds so good. There's no evil there. There's a time to live and a time to die and that is a great plan for all who believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. So in the meantime, we don't live in fear thinking, oh, if I do this, I might die, or if I go there, I might not survive. Jonathan did not attack the Philistines thinking that, oh, we're probably going to die. This was not a suicide mission. He knew the odds, but he factored in God. Let's do this, because we'll probably live to tell about it, and it will make a great story. They might even put it in the Bible. Verse 7, do all you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Verse 13, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet and his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in about half an acre. Those unsubscribed Philistines did not see that coming. In fact, they were so shocked by this that they panicked. Verse 15, then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts in Gibeah of Benjamin saw that the army was melting away in all directions. Verse 20, then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Verse 22, when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit, so the Lord rescued Israel that day. Jonathan's bold act of faith wasn't that huge. But it changed the balance of power in the Middle East. Saul's demoralized army was so encouraged that they won a decisive victory against overwhelming odds, proving that nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And that's exactly what we need today. We need heroes like Jonathan. Because the church here in Canada very much like Saul's army. We have very little momentum. Our courage is at about 10%. We've lost so many battles in the culture wars. We are overwhelmingly outnumbered. Almost every survey and every statistic is against us. And that's why many have gotten discouraged and desertion has become contagious. 
But let me say that that can change very quickly. Because the enemy thinks that we are in retreat. They're counting on it. That's why they're overreaching. So they don't expect any of us to go on the offensive. They don't expect us to push back or even to say anything. So we need some heroes who will demonstrate that they are not ashamed, but will boldly proclaim their faith in Christ in the face of arrogant and overconfident unbelief. Belief in Christ and the, in the Creator God and in the Bible and the Ten Commandments. And whether that happens in Parliament or in a courtroom or a classroom or in the media, whether it happens in a letter to the editor or a phone call to an MP, whether that happens in Facebook or on Instagram or YouTube or on Zoom, you know, it, it can be as simple as wearing a t-shirt. One of the biggest encouragements I've gotten this past year is seeing these teenagers wearing this shirt that says, Virginity Rocks. When I see that, I think, wow, that is, that is powerful. That is amazing. That's defiant. That's subversive in the best sense of the word. And heroic, defiant acts of faith like that can make a difference because there will be witnesses. People will hear about it. Now, of course, you might not get many likes. You'll probably get ridiculed. You may get canceled, but don't worry about that because Jesus also got canceled, remember? But for those believers who see and hear what you've done, it will be like a taste of honey, and their eyes will brighten. That's the power of encouragement. It creates momentum. It's a spiritual energy surge. And even the deserters who are right now hiding will return to fight the good fight. Encouragement can turn defeat into victory. And might even be surprised at the reaction. I certainly was. In my first year of university, I had an excellent English prof who had a festering grudge against God. In almost every class, he took a swing at God, especially when we got to Milton's Paradise Lost. That's where Satan declared it is better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. My prof loved that. To him, Satan was the hero, the anti-establishment rebel who defied conformity, and God was the fascist dictator who restricted everyone's freedom. Now, at that time, I was a deserter. I was a backslider. I was not a fan of God. But it was interesting because there were two things that really upset me. One was if anyone overly praised God. That really upset me. And the other one was if anyone overly criticized God. That also upset me. And my prof had simply gone too far. So we had to write an essay on the Paradise Lost. And of course, I could play it safe and agree with his 
ideology, but I decided to object and contradict his conclusions. And that's usually considered academic suicide. I simply said, if you confine your study to Milton, you might see God as oppressive. But if you look at the Bible and you consider Jesus, you will realize how gracious and loving God is and that his truth sets us free. Satan is no role model. He comes to kill and steal and destroy. So I wrote that essay, totally contradicting everything he'd been telling us in class for weeks. And then I did a very foolish thing. I handed that essay in. And five minutes later, I regretted it. And for weeks, I lived in fear. I imagined the professor reading my essay to the class and ridiculing my unenlightened, uncircumscribed ideas. But when the day came and he handed the papers back, he walked around the room and gave each one their essay. And you could see the red marks correcting the grammar and all the gobbledygook. And then he came to me, and I, I didn't look up. I just you know, took the paper. But he didn't let go. So that forced me to engage in eye contact. And there he stood, this hardened skeptic. And his eyes were bright and a big smile on his face. I didn't expect it. And I looked through my essay. There was not one red mark. And on the past, last page of that, the shock of my life, said, A plus, excellent essay. Best mark I got at university. It just blew my mind. I had taken the biggest risk, and somehow God used it. Now, I don't know if I will see Johannes Algeier in heaven, but the Holy Spirit melted his ice-cold heart. And that experience I was still like that. Perhaps someday I will be. Maybe all I need is some encouragement. Let's pray. Father, we uh, we all need a taste of honey. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, show us ways that will speak to our situation through your word. Bring people into our lives who will encourage us. Because we need to uh, go on the offensive. We've been falling back. We've been draw withdrawing. We've been running away for too long. It's time that we stand up and boldly say we are not ashamed. Thus says the Lord. Lord, give us opportunities to do that, even this week and in the months ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name.